With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is the Steve Malzberg Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, welcome aboard. It's four minutes past the hour of 9 p.m. on Monday night here on the East Coast of the United States. You know what day and time it is wherever you are partaking of the Steve Malzberg Show here on TNT. Since October 17th, U.S. troops have been attacked one way or another by proxies of the terrorist state of Iran. 165 times, 165 times. Now, we lost two Navy SEALs about a week and a half ago. It's unclear to me that was off the coast of Somalia. It's still unclear to me exactly what they were doing and who was responsible. They say they drowned. I'm sorry. SEALs aren't going to just drown, in my opinion. But let's put that aside for a moment, not to diminish their deaths in any way, of course. So for the first time other than that, this past Sunday, yesterday, we lost three service members. Dozens more were wounded. And the wounded and death toll could go higher as we sit here. And this took place because of a drone strike that hit a base in Jordan near the border with Syria, where the U.S. has over 300 troops in a place called Tower 22. They are there as part of the, um, the effort to uh, counter ISIS, called Counter ISIS Mission. And now I'm reading, the reports are coming out. You say, how did that drone get through? Why wasn't it shot down? It was a drone attack that caused all this damage. Because an, a, a U.S. drone was supposed to be coming in at the same time, and it might have been mistaken for a U.S. drone. Let's put that aside for a moment. We are acting like weak, helpless, feckless people because we have weak, feckless, helpless leadership. And whoever's pulling Biden's strings, whoever's telling him what to do, whether it's Obama feeding it down to the defense secretary who finally showed up today. And he read, he had two lines to comment on this horrific tragedy, this horrific attack on our troops. And he read them at a conference table. He read the two lines. I wish I was kidding, but you know by now, these are, these are, (laughs) this is how it is in this country on so many levels. So the president says, oh, we'll respond in our own way, in our own time. We'll respond. And that was echoed by John Kirby, the national security spokesperson. That was echoed by somebody named Sabrina Singh, who is the Pentagon spokesman, or at least was acting as such earlier today. And we'll let you hear something she said in a minute. But all I kept hearing all day from people in the administration, including the ones I just mentioned, oh, we don't want a war with Iran. We don't want a war with Iran. Please, we don't want a war with Iran. And even Iran doesn't want a war with us. Really? They've attacked our troops 165 freaking times. Oh, they don't want to war with us. What are we going to do? Little pinprick here, little pinprick there. There is some U.S. senators calling for an attack on Tehran. I heard it said by somebody today, left-wing media member with someone in the administration or a Democrat, they're all the same. Oh, we can't attack inside Iran. We might hurt a civilian. (laughs) I can't take it. I really can't. I really can't. And they wonder 
why they're not meeting their recruitment levels in the military. The Navy just lowered its standards again because they're nowhere near their recruitment requirements. Oh, we can't attack back. We might hurt somebody. We don't want a war. And we know they don't want a war. They just, you know, they can't help themselves. We're the evil empire. They have to attack us. That's what Barack Obama would think. And since I've said over and over, I believe he's running things. Are we surprised we've done nothing? Oh, we bombed the Hooties. We didn't bomb the Hooties. We hit a radar site. We hit uh, a weapon storage site for their, their drones. We didn't, we didn't destroy the Hooties, which we could. We had a guest, a military expert, a couple of weeks ago. He said the Hooties are like a motorcycle gang. They're nothing. But, oh, we don't dare do anything about them either. Nobody backed by Iran do we dare do anything to. But what bothers me perhaps the most about all this is the reaction. A week ago Sunday, okay, you might recall that in Iraq, a U.S. military base was hit, troops were injured, uh, traumatic brain uh, um, uh, syndrome, and um, John Kirby went on Good Morning America the next day, and he poo-pooed it. Well, at least it wasn't serious injuries. And then he said, well, of course, that's serious enough because you realize what he said. And it wasn't that many soldiers. Really? So what did we get from the Pentagon spokeswoman today about the attack? Just want you to hear this. Okay, you got it. You got to hear this um, because it's just. Listen to 359. As the president has said, uh, we don't see conflict. We don't want to see a, widen, wide, a widening of a regional war, um, but we will respond at a time and place of our choosing. It's not spreading when mm -hmm. troops literally have died in another country. Yeah. Well, again, but they've also been launching these attacks since October 17th. And again, we can't discount the fact that these attacks are incredibly dangerous, put our service members at risk, but they have not, uh, up until yesterday, inflicted lethal harm. Um, they have been predominantly minor injuries and minor, in, uh, minor damage to infrastructure. Oh, do I have a list of names for her? But she only speaks for the administration, which I have even a bigger list of names for. It's the same crap that came out of Kirby's mouth a week ago. Oh, look, they attacked us 165 times. But, you know, until yesterday, nobody got killed. And, you know, the injuries were really nothing. Again, again, last week we had the traumatic brain um, um, injury. Now these dozens of people have, uh, dozens of army soldiers in Jordan, our troops, again, traumatic brain injury. Let me read you what uh, the, um, the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke says about traumatic brain injury. Remember, not a serious, not, nothing serious. Nothing serious, says our Pentagon. Um, some types of TBI can cause temporary or short term problems with how the person thinks, understands, moves, communicates, and acts. More serious TBI can lead to severe and permanent disability and even death. But this clown. This Sabrina Singh stands there. Oh, this is the first time we had any fatalities. And, you know, the injuries really haven't been any, anything serious. How would you like to get traumatic brain injury, you moron? You despicable, disrespectful moron. I am so fed up with these people, this administration. How dare Instead of outrage, they make excuses. They poo-poo the injuries to our, our men and women in uniform. Shh. I, 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 look, what else, what, what's left to say? Now, this would normally be funny. I would save this next one for a, a funny segment, a cute segment, a breather. You know what I mean? Something light. But there is nothing light when we're talking about these people. And I'm talking about this administration. 
who will not confront our enemy, who will not retaliate in a meaningful way, who stand up there and say, oh, no serious injuries, only three dead. Did you ever think you'd live to see the day? Um, so here I want you to listen to a little um, montage that I had the had been in production put together. Not easy to put this together. So I thank him. And this is Joe Biden. This is what, what is supposed to be our commander in chief. And these are all recent. Okay. So here's cut uh, 348. Folks, um, uh, I, uh, if I were smart, I'd say thank you and leave. There's asylum, asylum officers. And over 100 cutting-edge inspe- inje- inspection machines to help detect and stop fentanyl coming out of our southwest border. Greedflation, shrinkflation. You see that article about the Snickers bars? Well, it's going to stop. America, we're tired of being played for suckers. We get thousands. Look, we, we, you know, we now have, we used to, before the recession, before the, the pandemic, Beer brewed here, it is used to make the brew beer in this refinery. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why it's coming. It costs 10 bucks to make it. 10 bucks to make it. We'll teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women on the <laughs> Again. Nice and light, right? Funny. Even if, even if, if what happened on Sunday didn't happen, it still wouldn't be funny because this man, not only is he the president now, but he wants four more years. Can you even, in your, in your wildest nightmares, even imagine this guy doing that? And I don't blame him. He's an old man, and it shows in every aspect, every phase of his life. Hi. I'm your retirement fear, but don't be scared. You're still in pre-tirement. Pre-tirement? Does that mean I have more time to plan? Precisely. Here, this is pretirement.org. Retirement savings options? (laughs) Potential tax breaks? Yep. Boo. I could build up savings for my side hustle. This isn't scary. I'm doing it. You got this. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the National Security Advisor to the President. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming President of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. This moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this 
basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. Then I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, folks, uh, welcome back. I apologize for the technical difficulties, but um, these things happen. And uh, when I left you, I was uh, ranting and raving about how, how funny it would be to hear Joe Biden act like that. Um, unfortunately, he's our commander in chief. And uh, on the other side of him is Kamala Harris. So there's nothing funny about it. We're going to discuss that more at length with Noah Rothman of National Review in a few minutes. Let me move on to the issue of abortion. Okay. And again, if you listen to me, you watch me, you know what I think about how the Republicans are missing an opportunity here <laughs> because they let the Democrats lie through their collective teeth. Let me just let you hear. This is Corinne Jean-Pierre, uh, a Q&A on abortion and what Biden uh, believes about late term abortion. Here's cut 340. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Karine, you said to Peter that the president wants to see Roe restored. It's still not clear to me, though, if he supports the late-term abortion restrictions that were included in Roe. I, well, if it's in Roe, then that's what he wants to see. I'm just not going to get into it. It's whatever is in Roe, what Roe was when it was a con constitutional law, that's what the president wants to see restored. He's been very clear about that. He also said he wants to be a president for all Americans, but how in this situation with this issue does he best represent the pro-life Americans who want to see more unborn babies see? What I will say is majority of Americans, majority of Americans wants to see their rights protected, wants to see women have their rights protected, wants to be able to, wants, want women to be able to make those deeply, deeply personal decisions on their bodies, on their own, not politicians. That's what majority of Americans want to see. And so the president's going to stand with majority of Americans on this issue. Do those unborn babies have any rights then? I'm not gonna get into that specific, I'm not gonna get into that question. I've been very, very clear about this, where majority of Americans stand, uh, and that's what matters. She's a liar. She's either stupid or she's a liar. And we'll prove that to you in a minute. Remember what she said. A majority of Americans favor the right for a woman to make that choice. Per very, 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 very personal choice. Late-term abortion was the topic in, uh, of discussion. Make that choice without the government. Okay? That means no restrictions. Remember, she said a majority of Americans favor that. Hold on to that. Now we go to the buffoon. Um, Kamala Harris uh, talking about, of course, um, abortion. And that's what she is now. She's basically the vice president in chief on, uh, on abortion. She's in Wisconsin. And here is cut 341. As we are clear eyed about the harm, let us also understand who is responsible. Shall we? The former president handpicked three Supreme Court justices because he intended for them to overturn Roe. He intended for them to take your freedoms. And it is a decision he brags about. A couple weeks ago, he said that for years, quote, they were trying to get Roe v. Wade terminated, but he said, quote, I did it, and I'm proud to have done it. 
Yeah, yeah, he should be prosecuted for doing that. There's more from the uh, vice president, cut 342. Proud, proud, proud that women across our nation are suffering? Proud that women have been robbed of a fundamental freedom? Proud that doctors could be thrown in prison? for caring for their patients, that young women today have fewer rights than their mothers and grandmothers? How dare he? How dare he? And we got one more, cut 343. One does not have to abandon their faith or deeply held beliefs to agree the government should not be telling her what to do with her body. If she chooses, she will talk with her priest, her pastor, her rabbi, her imam. But it should not be the government telling her what to do. And that's all, I believe, that is really required. We are not asking anyone to abandon their personal beliefs. It's just that the government should not, in in this year of our Lord, 2024, Mm-hmm. <laughs> the government should not be telling women what to do with their bodies. And so it's that basic. And Okay, again, so that means abortion on demand, no restrictions. The government has no role. Understand that, which is exactly what Karine Jean-Pierre said to that reporter uh, questioning her is where the majority of Americans are. Let's put up uh, this from Gallup. It's from May of last year, the latest uh, abortion poll that they put out. They put out one every single year. You could actually see the results going back, you know, decades. But there it is. Okay, on the legality of abortion. Should it be legal under any circumstances? Well, only 34 percent. Hmm. That's not a majority of Americans, but that's what Karine said, Karine Jean-Pierre said, and that's what Kamala Harris is pushing for. Under any circumstances, it's up to the woman. No government intervention, 34%. Certain instances, 51%. Illegal in all instances, 13 So far from a majority of Americans believe the trash that they're peddling. In the same poll, by the way, um, 64%. Uh, said that uh, abortion should be allowed in the first trimester. 37% said it should be allowed in the second trimester. And 22% in the Gallup poll back in May said abortion should be allowed in the third trimester. I thought it was a majority of Americans, they tell us. That's why Republicans have an opportunity, because they don't represent the majority on the left. But Republicans run away from it. They don't challenge it. They let the fiction continue. And that's why it's going to destroy them, possibly. Now, let's put all that aside and let's switch gears and uh, welcome in. I'm thrilled to have him back, as always. Noah Rothman joins us once again, ladies and gentlemen, senior writer at National Review and also the author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on Fun. Noah, how are you, my friend? Hi, Steve. I'm well. Good to see you. We should be having fun. We should be uh, like the book, you know, we should be uh, be uh, talking about the fun we could be having and then uh, the fight for them that they're trying to take away from us. But there's not a lot of fun out there these days. Let's start, of course, with the most obvious. And uh, that's what happened on Sunday in Jordan. And that, of course, was uh, the death of three American soldiers, the wounding of dozens more, uh, traumatic brain injury. And I played before, and I have to watch this, uh, this Pentagon spokesman named Sabrina Singh tell us over and over again at the press conference, we don't want war with Iran. Iran doesn't want war with us. And until now, there's been no fatalities, and the injuries really haven't been that serious. Kirby said the same thing about the injuries a week ago to our, uh, when our soldiers got hit in the uh, air base in Iraq when they, a bunch of them suffered from a traumatic brain injury. And he said, well, it wasn't that big a number, but it wasn't that serious. And then he caught himself, said, well, of course, it's serious enough. But that's their attitude. Noah, that's their attitude. It's one thing to not hit back at Iran. It's one thing to coddle Iran and be afraid of Iran or whatever. But to poo-poo 
What's happened to our soldiers is disgusting. I absolutely agree. And I think that's part of the reason why this has become such a profound political problem for the president to say nothing of the obvious geopolitical ramifications of the president's bizarre lethargy in response to a campaign of terrorism that began on 10-7. I mean, we should be pretty clear about when this started. It was almost immediately following the October 7th massacre when an Iranian proxy militia, Hamas, executed a staggering terrorist attack on Israelis and immediately preceding that, following that rather, Iranian proxy militias across the whole region lit up. You know, the first one of the first attacks on shipping by the Houthis was in mid-October. We've been dealing with this campaign, which has culminated now in profound victories for Iran. We've been dealing with this campaign since October. Now something like 150, 158 attacks on American positions in Syria and Iraq over the course of that period. Untold number of attacks, piratical attacks, rocket attacks, drone attacks in the Gulf of Aden, closing off the Suez Canal. All of this amounts to, and are obviously Iran is pulling the strings. So over the course of this period, we've been allowing Iran to amass victories, accrue victories, raise the stakes. All of this is incredibly beneficial for Iran. We're just expending defensive munitions left and right that closed off the Suez Canal to uh, to shipping by barely raising a finger by, through expendable thugs abroad. They've forced American assets to be moved around at great cost and have now drawn American blood. The, the benefits are high. So now to make it stop, the costs have to be even higher. All this dithering yeah. has squandered the opportunity to squash this campaign before it could have become this regional conflagration they're so afraid of. The dithering allowed it to become the crisis it is what it is. I could I could not agree more. What do you think? I mean, add to all this, Noah, and I know you know this, but I I, I don't think uh, most people listening and watching know this. Uh, Wall Street Journal was the first to report, I believe, that we, the United States, remember Tehran got hit in a terrorist attack a few weeks ago in Tehran, um, and it turns out it was by ISIS. We, the United States of America, warned Iran about the attack. They were unable to stop it, uh, obviously, but we warned Iran and still, first of all, should we have? And, and, and in, a, in a time when they're attacking us and have been attacking us, as you correctly point out, for, for, for months now, uh, that's one issue. And the other issue is, doesn't Iran doesn't give a rat's behind that we warned them. They're still attacking us and killing our soldiers now. What yeah. the heck is going on? What is wrong with us? Is this Obama's love for Iran, the real commander in chief, pulling the strings and, and saying, leave them alone, basically, or what? No, I don't think so. I think that's a perfectly defensible thing to do for two reasons. One, strategically for our benefit, and two, obviously for basic humanitarian reasons. If you have intelligence that suggests there's going to be an imminent attack on civilians anywhere, even in, in, in an enemy country, an adversarial country, mor morality would dictate you share that intelligence to the extent it doesn't doesn't direct, doesn't somehow harm your ability to, to generate intelligence or expose assets. But second, I can see why you would share that in just a strategic calculation, because what happened after this attack? Well, Iran executed a series of strikes on on militants in on the Pakistani border and triggered an international incident with Pakistan. Now, who knows how bad that could have been if it was a larger scale attack, if it had uh, achieved more of a dramatic effect? We don't necessarily know. So that sort of thing has a destabilizing effect on the region. We don't want Pakistan destabilized just as much as we don't actually want Iran destabilized. We want Iran to back off. We don't necessarily want an unstable Iran. Part of the problem with this administration, and I share their concerns here, I, I don't think that this, this threat neutralizes in the absence of regime change. But regime change is a scary prospect. If you're of the mind that that predominates the State Department, for example, you don't necessarily want to see this adversary destroyed. You'd like to see him contained. You'd like to see a more rational actor. That was the Obama philosophy here to try to goad Iran into the international community and be reformed by it. I can see where they're coming from with that. It doesn't make them bad people, it just makes them deluded. Uh, and I, but I can understand the, the strategic rationale for sharing this particular intelligence. But the, I, I agree with your suspicion that it all stems from this belief 
that Iran can be reformed by integrating it into international institutions. And that quite obviously hasn't worked out. Old dreams die hard. No, because when, you know, when, when, when it's, it's being run by, by the Ayatollah, it's being run by, you know, religious fanatics who have a religious philosophy and we're the great Satan and Israel's the little Satan. And, you know, not only are they attacking us, of course, they're, they're attacking anybody in the Red Sea. They're attacking Israel through their proxies. It's just, it's just constant. And doesn't it prop them up to think that they could go further and further and further um, and they have a philosophy too that you know um de- death is 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 glory and they you know some of the some of them in that regime i'm talking about the people who run the country don't mind the thought of death um so it's and and again they're getting close we keep hearing ad nauseum getting closer and closer and closer to a nuke um how could we tolerate them? How could we just sit by and let them do whatever they want to do? Well, that is, I mean, that's the big looming fear. I, given the proximity of Hamas to the IRGC, to the Iranian uh, regime, the idea now that you could tolerate a nuclear Iran is anathema. It's quite obvious that they would use whatever means available to them to massacre as many Jews in the space of as short a time as as they possibly could, and a nuclear weapon would allow them to do that. I don't think that's a thinkable prospect for anybody in the West. It's unfortunate that they don't think it's today's problem. They they still yeah. think that's tomorrow's problem. Right now, the Biden administration is staring down the barrel of having to been having been forced by his own lethargy to execute strikes on Iranian assets. They're telegraphing that all over the place. It's in Politico tonight. They're saying action could come as soon as tonight. I hope it doesn't come as soon as tonight because I think Joe Biden needs to address the American people on the scope and scale of the operation he's about to undertake. But they're tasked with the the problem now of hitting Iranian assets outside Iranian territory because they're convinced that hitting Iranian assets inside Iranian territory triggers a broader war. There's, I'm so I'm concerned about the assets that are available to them, whether or not naval assets, for example, or IRGC facilities in Syria and Iraq will be sufficient to restore deterrence. The only Iranian proxy we have deterred so far, and to Biden's credit, it has worked, is Hezbollah. There's a low scale set of series of hostilities under, uh, underway between Israel and Hezbollah in in the south of Lebanon, in the northern border of Israel. But all the naval assets, the carrier groups, the missile submarines that we've parked off the Levant have stayed Hezbollah's hand. And I, I guarantee you that the administration thinks that's a big achievement and wants to preserve it as many well, in think, any way they can. I think, and correct me if, I, if, if, I, if you think I'm wrong, but I think Lebanon has something to do with that as well. Because I know, although I know Hezbollah is is to a great extent in charge in, in in many many respects in Lebanon, but the government of Lebanon doesn't want a full scale war a full scale war with uh, with Israel, and so and I don't think the people of Lebanon want it either. I, I think you're probably right. We got some positive signs in that to that extent when um, there was a strike executed by Israeli forces on Hamas officials in Beirut and the response from Hezbollah was de-escalatory, really mad, you know, throw some rockets around, but pull back from the border and and communicate, convey, we don't want this to pop off. So yeah, I mean, that's a positive sign. And I think, I really think that carrier group has a lot to do with it. It's a very powerful inducement off the coast, but that doesn't mean it can hold forever. And if Iran really does get spooked and activates its assets abroad, that that could be a, a trigger. I just think that that's less likely than we think. If the scale of the attack is what we've seen before, there's a model to follow here. The Trump administration set a blueprint. It faced a very similar set of circumstances in 2019, attacks on American forces in Iraq, killed an American contractor. They retaliated. It was proportionate. It didn't deter anybody. Iran and its proxies laid siege to the embassy in Baghdad. And that's when they went right up the escalatory ladder and took out Qasem Soleimani. Similarly, in an episode under Reagan, Operation Praying Mantis, when they took out much of the Iranian Navy in response to the sinking, or rather the hitting of an American naval asset with a mine. When you hit Iran hard and communicate to the assets within, rather the regime elements that understand that a direct conflict with the United States is not survivable, that the regime does not survive, the regime does not survive that conflict, and they get spooked when it becomes really tangible. That's what you have to do. That's what you have to trigger. We're talking to Noah Rothman, uh, senior writer at National Review here on the Steve Malzberg Show. Okay, um, a, a couple of more things uh, while we're on the uh, the area. This uh, UNRWA story, 
um, which is just, it, it's just amazing to me. A couple of things that strike me when they say it. The dozen um, UNRWA workers uh, who uh, have been, Israel apparently has convinced not only the United States, but I think 10 countries to suspend their funding of UNRWA what, because they showed them proof of, uh, of, of the workers involved in the, uh, the Hamas attack on October 7th. And I love when the UN says, oh, we fired, you know, nine of them or whatever, and one is dead and we're looking for the other two. You fired them? I mean, shouldn't they be rounded up and put in jail and prosecuted? What do you mean you fired them? Did you give them severance? That, that really dis disturbs me the way that, oh yeah, they, 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 they killed a bunch of Jews, but we fired them. But, but beyond that, and, and this goes back, you could find stories going back to, two years where action has been taken and going back 10 years as a warning that UNRWA runs the schools in Gaza and their textbooks. And there's going to be a congressional testimony tomorrow about this. That's why I'm bringing it up. It relates to the U.S. directly. Um, their textbooks portray Jews, you know, kill the Jew, this and that. They, they teach their, the, the children to hate the Jews, kill the Jews, the whole thing. It's been going on forever. So this, this, this news reporting that, oh, uh, how could they stop funding based on a dozen people, AOC, oh, it's a tragedy based on 12 people, we're going to cut off all the funds. <laughs> I mean, it's like, but, but, but this has never been addressed seriously, and now maybe it will be. And the whole UN, I, I think you wrote a piece about the UN, and I got to tell you, get rid of them. They're, they're worse than worthless. They're evil. That's precisely what I wrote. Uh I mean, you and I know that Hamas and, and Palestinian Islamic Jihad and, and Palestinian militants across the two territories have been using uh, UNRWA facilities to hide weapons, to launch attacks, staging areas for rockets that they, as you said, that they disseminate textbooks that uh, propagate Jew hatred. This is only shocking the conscience if you don't really know that history or just aren't interested in it. It is a little different flavor, though, to have UNRWA contractors engaged in not just celebrating the attacks as they did and as documented, but participating in them, drawing Israeli blood while having, you know, a, a UN lanyard around your neck. I mean, that's a little new and it is rather shocking. Um, and it has shocked the conscience of a lot of Western countries, which are doing this kind of face saving maneuver to pull funding away from right. UNRWA. It's just in, in, in some of it's uh, the United States in particular. Uh, I don't know about other countries, but the United States is pulling a did like new funding. Right, the right. commitments that have already been made, they're on the books. We can't pull those. Back. Well, no, no, don't forget not to interrupt. And I'm sure you would have got to this, but Trump cut the funding. That's Biden right. not only put it back, but then gave them like a bonus on top. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. But Trump cut the funding to them. Yeah, the Trump administration and his U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley, were extremely good on the United Nations because they treated it like the contemptible nest of vipers that it is. They pulled the United States out of uh, the United Nations Human Rights Council, out of UNESCO. They dropped funding for UNRWA. They spent every minute in the UN General Assembly castigating its members and questioning the existence of the place. They were very good about it. The only thing they could have done was blown it up. Otherwise, they, did, they communicated their hostility to that institution in ways that I regarded as very valuable. And that since has been undone. But Throughout since the 10-7 attacks, we've seen just about every organ of this agency, this uh, this organization, this institution, behave just contemptibly from yeah. UNRWA, as we described, but also the, the judicial organization, the uh, International Criminal Court, which right. brought this incredibly flimsy case against Israel, only for it to basically collapse because their recommendations maintain that, well, it's kind of doing genocide, but also not enough for right. us to actually stop the war. And we're going to have you come back and give us a report in a month. That just only denudes the concept of genocide. If it really was what you allege it to be, then you wouldn't have this lackadaisical approach. You know, right. I, I mentioned the UN uh, HRC, half a dozen agencies. There's very little in there. I mean, there's it does a lot of work. Every, nothing is black and white. There's a lot of humanitarian work that the United Nations does, and it'd be hard to unwind that. But unwind it, we must. This yes. institution yes. is beyond contempt. It is irredeemable. It must be dissolved and replaced with something that doesn't fund and support terrorism. My God, what's the alternative? Yeah. Let, let me give you an example here real quick. Um, Newton's second law taught through Palestinian aiming slingshot at soldiers. Um, it, it, I, I took this picture from uh, CNN. They had, um, they had um, a gentleman who's going to testify tomorrow, Marcus uh, Sheff, CEO of Impact 
SE. And th this is what they, they put out. In a grade seven science lesson, Newton's second law is demonstrated through an image of a masked Palestinian boy aiming a slingshot at an approaching at approaching soldiers. Students are asked, what are the forces that influence the object after its release from the branch, the slingshot, and the coil? This is a textbook, Science and Life, Volume 1, Grade 7, 2020 to 2023, page 57. And of course, the cartoon is an Israeli soldier, uh, is, is the brunt of the Palestinian kids with the slingshot. I mean, it's, it's just ludicrous, ludicrous. Um, let, me, let me switch real quick. Another narrative that you may disagree with me on this a little bit also, but the narrative that, wow, the Senate has negotiated this great immigration deal, more Border Patrol agents, and, 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 and it's going to be easy to process these people coming across the border. Just take it. The, the, the Congress has a chance here to take it. And Donald Trump is telling them, no, I want to run on this. So because of Donald Trump, they're not going to do it and it's not going to pass. This is a terrible bill. It's an awful bill. It does nothing. Biden could change the bill, uh, the, the, the face of immigration, the state of immigration, go back, rescind his executive orders that got rid of Trump's executive orders and pass H.R. 2 from the House. So I, I think I hope they die on this hill. I hope they they go to bat and, and stick it out and don't pass this bill, even if it means shutting down the government or denying aid to Ukraine and Israel. I really do. And I think the narrative painted by the media and the left is just insane that this is such a great bill. Finally, Congress has a great bill and Trump won't let them have it. It's it's it, it makes you want to go nuts. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I respect that position. I just don't know if I can jump on it just yet because we don't have the bill. We're That's prejudging true, but... it based on a lot of leaks. And uh, one of yes. the authors of that bill, James Lankford, who's no squish, is kind of up in get. arms yeah. and I'm probably deservedly so over what he thinks are mischaracterizations of the bill. Now, maybe they're not. In fact, I, I imagine he's probably, you know, protesting perhaps a little too much. But nevertheless, it's worth reserving judgment. And frankly, I think there are considerations to be made here on political terms. If Donald Trump is promising the perfect deal when he gets elected and is inaugurated, well, that's a rather big bet. He's looking good in the polls now, but you're betting quite a lot on the prospect of Joe Biden being compelled to either enforce this by virtue of the political conditions around him or Donald Trump winning. Meanwhile, we have an abject crisis on our hands. I think it's really annoying and very stupid for the Biden administration to predicate its strategy here on civic ignorance. It's saying, if you don't pass this bill, I can't enforce the border, executive, my executive authority. I need Congress to grant it to me. You have to be, frankly, uneducated or miseducated right. to understand right. that. And that's where his strategy is predicated on. However, I think some of the legislative statutory reforms that are being proposed here are good. The value of them is that Democrats are presently over a barrel. They're only interested in reforming here because they're feeling the heat of the immigration issue. They're conceding only enforcement. We have, as far as these leaks go, again, can't prejudge the bill. But all we've heard is enforcement provisions. No amnitization, no pathway to citizenship, none of the gobbledygook that mucks up every other immigration bill we've ever had over the last couple of decades. It's an enforcement bill. And it's the only reason we're going to get it through Democrats is because they're feeling the pain today. Are they going to feel it tomorrow? I don't know, because the Biden administration is also feeling the pain. Joe Biden is leaning on Mexico to enforce his side of the Rio. Joe Biden has restarted Venezuelan deportation flights. We had a bad month in December. Will we have a bad month in January, February, March And in terms of apprehensions? I don't know. And if we don't, does the pressure re relieve a little bit, resolve itself so that Democrats don't feel like, oh, maybe we don't have to compromise either. Doves hate this bill, too. Border hawks are up in arms. You oh, should hear I what know, the ACLU it... is saying about it. Because it doesn't have what you said is left out of it, right? No, it reinforces things like family uh, family deportation. Like it, right. it makes things, it makes it easier to deport. It makes it harder for you to get asylum, and all. Oh, so it's painful right. for these people right. who are fleeing right. war and poverty. Everybody's pissed off about this because it's a legislative compromise. That's the nature of compromise. The trade off for doing something about it is everybody gets their fingerprints on it. So nobody can complain about this thing at the end of the day. You're all party to it. That's the whole point right. of legislative compromise. It makes no, everybody on the fringes mad. But at the same time, you know, uh, although he hasn't done anything to back up his threat, threatening uh, Texas to take down the razor wire. And, and, to oh, hear and that's John another Kirby, thing. Yeah, but that's another thing Kirby that annoys me. 
Yeah, and to hear John Kirby explain to Peter Ducey why uh, why are you letting people in if if the razor wire works? Well, the border agent's job is to process them, and they can't process them if they can't get through. Is basically what Kirby's saying. <laughs> so yeah. open it up, let them come through, so they can be processed, as opposed to keeping it out, keeping it up, and keeping them out. Again, so the executive branch doesn't want to do its job, doesn't want to enforce the law. But then there's this weird thing where we throw our hands up and say, oh, I guess the first branch of government, Article One in the Constitution, just can't do a darn thing about it. Right. What? No, yeah. of course they can. Congress should be up in arms over this. Congress should be threatening to defund administration priorities. Congress should be threatening to impeach people, subpoena the entire uh, first uh, the entire uh, executive branch, haul them before Congress, and yes, pass statutory reforms that force the president to a barrel. That's the other thing about legislative reforms is once you get something into law, it's really difficult to undo that. Congress should yeah. be should be making this administration answer for its refusal to to abide by the law. And it's just kind of like, well, I mean, the politics are kind of weird. Trump's going to win. I mean, I don't get that. We should have more expectations of Congress than what we presently do. They just get to sit by and spectate. They're the first branch of government. Legislate. <laughs> I know. Well, in fairness, the House did pass a bill and Schumer never touched it. So, you know, when they, when they, they, true, they, true, could, true. Always, they could always claim that. Anyway, Noah. Thank you so much for staying so long. Always a pleasure to speak to you. And uh, check out Noah at uh, National Review. And what's your, your Twitter? Is, uh, give me your Twitter again. Noah C. Rothman. That is as easy as pie. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> right. Good to see you. Bye. Thank you, sir. Noah Take Rothman, care. ladies and gentlemen, senior writer at National Review. And uh, let me, I want to get you the book again. And I will do that um, as soon as we come back from break, because I'm running late. I'll give you the book when we come back. Steve Malsberg, right here. One final segment left in the hour on TNT. <laughs> My baby's back from the West Coast. <laughs> Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. <laughs> <laughs> so long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. It is the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those <laughs> beans smell heavenly. Mm -hmm. Give mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. Even the thought of dementia can feel scary. It's why we put off getting help, even though we've noticed changes in our thinking or memory. But an early diagnosis can change everything, giving you medical help and a support system around you to help you live better. Start with Dementia Australia's online checklist. Because the sooner you know, the more you can do. The Steve Malzberg Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the book, The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against the Progressives' War on Fun. The Rise of the New Puritans by Noah Rothman, National Review senior writer. We always love having him on. All right, I want to get to this. This is from Saturday Night Live on Saturday Night Past a couple of nights ago. Uh, let's, uh, let's hit it. Hasn't lost a step. <laughs> Trump did have a slight stumble this week while talking about banks, and he introduced an interesting new term called D-Bank. We're also going to place strong protections to stop banks and regulators from trying to debank you. They want to debank you, and we're going to debank. <laughs> I don't know what the hell D-Bank means, but he might have to take D-Ambulance to see the doctor. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? Isn't that lovely? That's the same news desk with the same two characters that brought you uh, the, the, the Miss Israel one, the Miss uh, Hitler contest, and all the other crap that they present. Um, well, they're the fools, as always, as usual. They didn't disappoint. Um, Debanking or de-risking 
is a real term used to refer to banks closing people or organizations accounts, sometimes without appeal after perceiving them to be a legal financial or reputational, reputational, sorry, threat. So debanking is an actual term. And when a multi-million dollar successful businessman like Donald Trump uses a term, maybe someone, the writers, the, the guys who are going to read it, the host, you know, the anchors there, anchors, uh, playing anchors, the, the producers, the, the somebody should have looked up the term before assuming that they know so much because they're liberal you-know-what holes and they're going to make it seem like Trump is, you know, belongs in an insane asylum again, not Biden. Uh, and they took a term, mocked the term, insinuated and, and said the term doesn't exist and Trump needs mental help for using the term and the joke is on them. They need the mental help because they're all TBS, uh, TDS sufferers and there's no cure for TDS, Trump derangement syndrome, as we all know. So there you go, folks. Um, what could I say? You know, what a way to start the week. And by the time we gather tomorrow, we may have a retaliatory hit on Iran somehow, uh, as we discussed with Noah, probably won't be inside Iran. It'll probably be uh, on the outside against one of their proxies, which will do nothing, but we'll uh, be back to talk about it and, and more. Uh, also, of course, the latest on immigration and the bill. Maybe we'll get to find out what's in that Senate bill one day. Who knows? Miracles have happened, you know. In the meantime, I thank you for being with me. I, I thank you for putting up with the uh, technical difficulty earlier. And uh, tomorrow, God willing, we'll do it at the same time, in the same place, 9 p.m. Eastern time, right here. Uh, tell your friends, tell your enemies to be here at TNT Radio. <laughs>